We have been looking at where things are heading in this world, and we've been studying something we're, we're calling this element of our study, Eras and Events. And we saw last week, we began a, what we simply call the ultimate awesome, that there is something that is about to unfold that is the most incredible thing the world has, has ever or will ever experience in its, in its history. And it is the next event of which we speak. The tribulation era we saw last week will end with the fall of Babylon. And if, if you want to understand the fall of Babylon, if I just put it in your mind, sometimes it helps. Revelation 17, 18, and 19. That describes the fall of Babylon. Revelation 17 falls to describe, describes the fall of religious Babylon. Revelation 18 describes the fall of economic Babylon. And now as we come to Revelation 19, we're going to have the fall of political Babylon. And that's what we will see today. And what we want to make clear is that the tribulation, whereby it will end with the fall of Babylon and the return of Christ. The, that aspect of political Babylon, it falls at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the ultimate awesome. Revelation chapter 19, if we can jump right back in to where we were last week. After these things, the description of the fall of religious Babylon in, in Revelation 17, economic Babylon, Revelation 18. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And so there is, first, there is this adoration of God that finally he has called for that judgment that a number of chapters back, the people of the earth, God's people of the earth, they looked up and they said, How long, O oh Lord, how long will it be that you allow this evil and wickedness and the, and the desperate uh, uh, killing of your people? How long will you let it happen? And now he's saying, Enough. And he is bringing an end to uh, mankind's ultimate uh, his, his ultimate zip line, his ultimate to get as far away from God as he can, the ultimate rejection of God and the things of God. And God said, okay, that's as far as you're going, man. That's as far as you got. In fact, Satan himself, who has come down to the earth in Revelation chapter 12, that's as far as he goes. This is the end. And the saints praise him that this moment has arrived. And if we'll jump down with me to verse 11... Here is what John has revealed for him, that after this adoration of God and the announcement of this final, this final end, if you will, to man's rebellion and to satanic rebellion, we read this. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. 
Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with, the, with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And now we have the arrival of the Son, the second person of the Trinity who we looked at sometime last year, the second person of the Trinity who now arrives. And what I just want us to touch on is he's described, it took four different titles to describe him in this passage. This is how incredible this is. First, in verse 11, he's referred to as faithful and true. Now understand, he is coming ultimately to defeat Satan. Satan, who is, one of his titles is the deceiver. And in contrast to him, the character of the one who will now come and deliver and bring the judgment is faithful and true. Somebody we can finally count on. The world went after, agreed to follow the Antichrist, believed that he was the answer to all their problems, only to find out that he's a deceiver. But he that is faithful and true now comes and will judge the deceiver and all those who chose to follow him. And then in verse 12, we find another name that no man knew except he himself. Remember when we looked, way back when, we looked at the names of God. And we saw when God called Moses to deliver the people of Israel, he said, Who shall I say sent me? Remember what he said? I am Tell them that I am. Oh, the the meaning that was in that name. The eternal, self-existent one was the one calling Moses to deliver the people out out of the clutches of Egypt. The great I am. And we try to reflect on that. The eternal, self-existent one who always was and always will be. And our finite minds can't wrap our arms around it. Now I say that because there's yet another name that is identified here. And it's a name which no man knew. And I believe it's because of the mystery and the amazingness, if you will, the awesomeness of what is behind that name. We can't even begin to grasp. I can hardly grasp the eternal I am. And this goes beyond that. And it'll be things that our finite minds absolutely cannot comprehend in that name. So it's just given to us as the name that no man knew. And then we find in, in verse 13 that he's the word of God. That is incredibly significant, particularly in John's writings, because we know his reference to the Word of God is to Christ himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And he is clearly defined here by John that this now is Jesus Christ himself who is returning, the eternal Word the one who took on flesh, who bore our sins for us. This is the one, the second person of the Trinity who is coming. And he is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords, verse 16 tells us. He is coming with all authority and all power. Remember a few chapters back when we looked at the Antichrist and he had that wound and it looked like he survived his wound. And the peoples of the earth said, who can wage war against the Antichrist? We better throw our lot in with him. Who could possibly defeat this magnificent, powerful being who's going to have all of our answers and they throw in with 
with him and a one-world government revolves around him because they asked this to them. It was a rhetorical question. Who can do, wage war against the beast? Who can do that? And the answer in their minds was, nobody. Nobody can do that. Guess what? Somebody can because he arrives on the scene as the second person of the Trinity as the clouds open up and he comes in power and authority and he come as, comes as king of kings and lord of lords and Satan himself will not be able to stop now the judgment that he is bringing upon the dark kingdom and it is the arrival of the sun and it is the most incredible event in the history of man since Christ has been on the earth bodily when he came first as the suffering servant and he returns. So we have the adoration of God and then we have the arrival of the Son and then that finishes with the annihilation of the enemy. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people free and slave, both small and great. And he starts at the top, those who are great authority, the kings, and he works his way down to the common man and he says, all all now who have turned against the creator God of the universe, who have thrown themselves in with Satan and his cohorts, all will be judged. And he invites the birds to come and feed on their bodies. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Actually, they have gathered, in their thinking, they're gathered against Jerusalem to attack Israel. But they don't realize as they've all turned their guns on Jerusalem to attack Israel that now Christ is going to come. And it's at that moment the skies will open. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Josh, if you would please come at this time as Josh and his team are coming. I just want to remind you Friends, I just want to remind you that what, what is described here by John as now political Babylon is going to be wiped out and all those who lived in rebellion as they're going to be wiped out, that it is described for us here. The victory is going to belong to Jesus Christ without a question, but I want to remind us that it says here, He Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. God says enough. And now his patience is done. His long-suffering is over. His wrath of judgment now comes upon man. Would you please stand as they lead us in a closing
Friends, there was a day when we as Americans believed this truth and this reality. I can't say I honestly know that we believe it anymore. But whatever America collectively chooses to do will not stop the day of judgment that will come when Christ comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. I have asked you on other occasions, I've said, can you give me one reason with all your heart, why you should serve Jesus Christ. Why are we sending teams? Why is somebody in Nepal? Why is somebody in the Far East? Can you give me one incontrovertible reason why we ought to get behind all of this? Why we should send this team to Mexico? And the one incontrovertible reason is this, because Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. That's it. It's the only, that's the, that's the, at least the first. But there's a second corollary behind it, which we have had this morning. I hope as you listen to the scriptures, as we sang this song, I hope you understand also, not only is Jesus Christ who he claims to be, the second thing is, he is going to win. Jesus is going to win. And so we give ourselves, regardless of where our country goes, regardless of what they do, in walking away and being in rebellious to God, we give ourselves to a renewed commitment that Jesus Christ, He alone, is the one whom we serve. Let's pray. Father, clarify in our thinking who it is that will come in ultimate awesomeness. Clarify in our thinking, Lord, that it is the living Word, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is going to return, is going to set this world to right. Clarify in our thinking, Father, that regardless of what the nations do, regardless of how they rage, as Psalm 2 describes them, Father, clarify in our thinking that it is our personal choice that each one of us say, no, but I will follow Christ and Him alone, for He indeed is Lord and He is going to win and there is no other reason to follow anyone else. And strengthen us in that, Lord, as your people, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.